Hiya. Yeah. Looking for looking for Sam. Sam's on in. It's on in yeah, here. Yeah, go ahead. No Make problem. Let's see how we get in here. Hello. Hello. I'm looking for Sam. Yes, Sam's busy, busy there. I've come to St Matthew's Parish Church on the Woodfield Road at the top of the Shankle. I'm looking for Sam Guthrie. He's been busy working on an exhibition on the social history of St Matthew's and the surrounding community. Uh, hi, I'm Sam Guthrie. I'm a recent graduate from Queen's, uh, graduating with a Master's in Public History. Uh, I've been working in the heritage sector here in Belfast since I moved here in 2019. Uh, obviously not from here originally, I'm from Australia and I moved across to get into the sector. I've got family here and I really wanted to retrain and do something with history. Um, and so I've got involved in, uh, in the sector here and I've taken opportunities as they come and one that came along was an opportunity to get involved in uh, this exhibition here at St Matthews to mark its 150th anniversary. Um, so working with Queens, uh, we're here putting together uh, an exhibition uh, focusing on thematic sort of changes to church life and community life. So this isn't just a straightforward history of St Matthew's Church. It's a, it's a history of the people who lived on the Shankill as well and how they're related to Belfast in, in total. So we run right through from the really earliest references to the Shankill, which are in the, the early sort of Christian period in, in Ireland, all the way through to uh, the more recent past and sort of have a bit of a look at the, the church moving forward. And uh, of course on the day, we're gonna be having people in to uh, tell their own stories in a history harvest where we'll have a oral historian from Queens in and we'll have volunteers assisting and get stories about people in the Shankill now um, so that they can you know, have another sort of archive moving forwards as well. Often thought to have come about unwittingly, recently consulted architectural drawings and contemporary news reports indicate that the shamrock design of the church was intended. Although the reasoning behind the decision remains unknown, Sam was excited to tell me about this discovery. One of the things we've managed to learn during the research of this exhibition uh, is that the well-known uh, shape of, of St Matthew's, which is if you see it from above and if you go on Google Earth and you have a look down, you can see it, it bears a striking resemblance to a certain symbol that you would see on St. Patrick's Day. It looks like a shamrock. And we had thought and people had said that, oh, it's a bit of a coincidence, that it just, they didn't know what it was gonna look like. But having seen through the RCV library, who've been kind enough to let us display uh, some of the original designs from 1870 of the church, uh, from those designs, it's very clear that they're planning for this to be shamrock shaped. And then also from the news reporting at the exact same time is that all the papers in Belfast are aware that this is going to be the Shamrock Church. So that was planned and known, and we managed to actually you know, hunt that down and know that for sure for now. This was planned always to be the Shamrock-shaped church. It's believed that there has been a church in this area since the 5th century, possibly founded by St Patrick himself. The earliest physical evidence of the church derives from the 10th century Bishop's Crozier, discovered in 1855 in the vicinity of the Shankill Graveyard. Croziers took the form of a shepherd's crook and represented ecclesiastical power during the medieval period. These fragments suggest that Shankill was an early parish church in the area. 
They are on permanent display in the National Museum of Ireland, but remarkably the project team here at St Matthews have been able to borrow them for this exhibition, something of a homecoming for the Shanko Crozier. Yes, uh, we've got a real star of the show, uh, just incredible. We, it was a pipe dream when we started to plan this exhibition, was uh, would the National Museum of Ireland actually lend us the Shankle Crozier? And uh, it turns out if you ask, they can deliver, and they're bringing it up on the day. It's, uh, it will have its own little security escort and everything. It's uh, small fragments left from the crook of a uh, what would look to, to many like a shepherd's staff, but it's a bishop's crozier. Uh, these small fragments were discovered in a, the 19th century dig in the Shankle graveyard just down this, the road from here. And they were, they've been taken in as part of the collection of the National Museum of Ireland and have remained there. And uh, they're interestingly enough, there's something that was actually discussed during the Anglo-Irish Agreement. And this will actually be their first time uh, back, not just to the Shankle, but to Northern Ireland at all. Uh, so we're really looking forward to it. We're very excited to have this. And we've got a lot of uh, school children, local school children, will be coming through on the Tuesday as well. So they'll get to see this, uh, at what is actually a very small but awesome sort of little historic moment for them too. Today, St Matthew's replaced an earlier St Matthew's church completed in 1839 at a cost of £300. The church hall now stands on the site of the original church next to Shankle Graveyard. The graveyard has been mentioned already in connection with the Bishop's Crozier, but when Belfast City Cemetery opened for its first burial in August 1869, there were implications, and indeed complications, for future burials at both Shankle and Friars Bush graveyards. Sam takes up the story. It was really like a complicated process. Once you start to look at the reporting and the news that came out about this opening and the closures, the subsequent closures, many people thought that what was being argued for, and in some ways government officials were, would wanting to close the Shankle graveyard and Friars Bush immediately. But there were still families with connections to these plots, particularly the Shankle graveyard, where, as many people listening will probably know, uh, some burials did continue up until we think the 1950s were the last burials. Um, so the immediate consequences were that uh, Belfast Corporation sought to get an order from the Privy Council in Dublin to close uh, the Shankle graveyard and Friars Bush. And this became quite a almost sensationalised process. Uh, a part of this process involved actually a... Uh, Sir Isaac Butts, uh, the uh, QC and uh, Nationalist MP, representing Fry's Bush and the, uh, the Catholic Church's interest. Um, and uh, they argued to keep the graveyards open. And uh, A lot of media reporting at the time uh, essentially got the order uh, published that these would be closed and that burials would cease. But this seems to have not fed through to how people understood that in the public. And there were fears that, uh, that people's families were going to be disturbed by government officials. Mm. And so a group of people who are unnamed, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for their own, their own sakes, uh, took it upon themselves to go to Shankle Graveyard and to move members of their family and to move their loved ones uh, into more safe parts of the graveyard they saw and to, to bury them at a, what were the new government guidelines. Uh, this was the first time the government was telling people how, how they could bury their, their dead. Um, and it was a, a scene that shocked, it made, it made the news in Australia. That's how I came across this, was it was in an Adelaide newspaper. Um, and it wasn't stopped until the mayor came out to, to reason with people and to explain that this wasn't what was going to happen. And, uh, so it was quite sensational scenes. As I'm chatting to Sam, some members of the church are busy setting up the exhibition and sharing some interesting stories. 
this is where I get the experience. It's actually telling me what I should have been doing. One of the things you say, I thought, you see, now, I can, I can actually show you a picture of... Of one of these? these that people. guy. Yes, this here was William Henry, yep. right, who was son of Henry and Minnie, born in 19, 1892. But there's a picture up there of the father Oh really? Of, uh, that was, yeah, that yeah. was Harry Maguire. So that was Grandon Maguire. That was yeah. my father's grandfather. Oh, so this is a, this is your some of your family, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, family through my, my father was was his father married. Uh, his first wife died, yeah. and his father then married a widow who whose husband had been killed in the First World War, whose name's on the pulpit. Yeah. And uh, the. So that's the family, so it's his, uh -huh. his step-family, and yeah. it's, you yeah. notice, yeah. 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 and you see he's, and he's an, an engraver, Yes. right, and if you look on the pulpit and on that, you'll see Maguire's the engravers, oh. so it was he who was the engraver who did, so by sheer luck you picked that page, oh, wow. <laughs> nothing to do with me at all, but when I saw it I thought, golly gosh. When St Matthew's Church was opened in 1872, Belfast was changing rapidly from being a large town to a major industrial city. Its population grew from 25,000 at the start of the 19th century to 365,000 at the end of the century. While the older church had been surrounded by fields, the new church was gradually surrounded by the rows of terraced housing that sprang up as more and more people moved to Belfast in search of work in its factories and its shipyards. The exhibition here at St Matthew's quotes George Benn, that great historian of Belfast, and he said, On the Shankill, at the distance of one mile from Belfast, there is a collection of 30 or 40 cabins which may, however, be nearly considered a suburb of the town, being now almost united to it by the great number of houses which have been lately built between the two places. Well, some of what we've got on display here that uh, when people come through to see, and for others you can still check these out online, uh, is the Ordnance Survey maps, uh, particularly looking at, say, 1860 and 1900, a real comparison at the end of the 19th century. You can see that Shankill itself uh, was essentially a, a village on the outside of Belfast, and many people remembered it as such at that time too. And uh, then at the 19th, so there's the turn of the 20th century, then you've got uh, all the terraced houses have built up all the way, and the population of Belfast is now up to Shankill. It's a, it's a suburb on the outskirts of Belfast this time. The population growth was, was tremendous. I mean, Belfast grew from uh, a city of roughly 25,000 people at the beginning of the 19th century to a city of 360,000 plus at the end of the 19th century. And the Shankill was just as affected by this mass growth of people moving into work in industry, uh, particularly, I mean, of course, during you know, the Irish famine, pushing, pushing people towards cities that was an effect felt in Belfast, not just, uh, not just uh, parts of the Republic, as people might imagine. Uh, on the church itself, um, like one of the, the key things you can see are the, the real growth. I mean, as we're talking below us, we've got uh, one of the, uh, the marriage registers, um, and um, you can see the number of people who move into the city, and there's just more names and people involved in the church. It uh, means more children being born as well, so more children growing up here. And one of the things that we see is a real focus. The church changes from a small and sleepy sort of church to one that has such a bustling congregation, such a, such a large parish, that suddenly there's a focus on 
church activities that take kids and take them to places that are seen as being in the country. Uh, we see in the church magazines, they've got a great archive of their church magazines here, uh, just people being so excited for saving up for to travel all the way to Whitehead, to take the new railroad out to Whitehead, uh, trips down to uh, trips down to Newtonards and stuff as well. Uh, so it was one of the highlights was just getting out of the city. It had really changed from almost 40 years ago. These uh, Who would be the parents of children? They knew this as a village, and then their kids knew it as the heart of a city. Mm. And you mentioned there are people um, in the latter part of the 19th century really flocking to Belfast for work and whatnot. And one of the, one of the things that I picked up from the panels which you've written was Richard Turley, this man mentioned here, an Irish Catholic from Newry, living in the early, uh, living in the area in the early twentieth century. What does Richard's presence here in the Shankill area, I suppose, tell us about the changing demographic of the Shankill area? It shows us that uh, no matter what our conceptions of the Shankill or the Falls or other parts of Belfast are today, that only just after our grandparents, these places were more mixed. Uh, yes, people had begun to move around and. Richard Turley was maybe uncommon as a person to live here, but it wasn't unheard of. Uh, and it shows us that there were more people who were Catholic or of you know, different religions you would associate with this area with the here at the time. I think one thing that's uh, really interesting to note is that in the, the 1901 census particularly, uh, people are asked a, a question and they're asked that question that, do they speak uh, Irish or English? And uh, a lot of people would write Irish under that column. And a lot of academics have spent time telling us that no, of course, they didn't speak Irish. They, they were misunderstanding the question, and the enumerators would keep that in their comments. But it is important to look at the fact that they did get confused, and they thought they were being asked, were they English or Irish? And so many people, if you look around the streets, Canberra Street and other streets around the church here, lots of people who were parishioners of this church wrote down that they were Irish. And that's just another thing that you, would, you wouldn't think of on the Shankill as well. It's not something today that that many people might up here might describe themselves as, but it shows that populations change, they aren't static, and if we look at this early part of uh, the history here in the Shankill, or at least early to us, uh, it's quite a different, more mixed community with lots of people who are part of its history. According to Professor Richard Grayson's research on West Belfast and the Great War, around 4,500 men from the Shankill and Woodville wards served in the First World War. Around 800 of those were men of the Shankill Parish, and the names of 115 who perished feature on the war memorial at St Matthew's Church. I was keen to hear from Sam what sort of research had been carried out into the church's connection to the Great War for this exhibition. As we've been building the exhibition here, we're of course like highly aware of the church's connection to the First World War the loss of life and that that's spread across the Shankill as well. You couldn't come for a walk up the Shankill without seeing and knowing how much people think about and you know consider their commemoration of the First World War up here. Uh, the way I've sort of approached it was we've got a lot of names, we have a roll of honour but there's always questions about who else is out there or who was connected and stuff. I've spent a fair bit of time looking through census records and particularly comparing those to the birth register here to see if we can find people who have maybe not made it onto the, the role of honour on the pulpit or maybe have sort of been associated with the church and then drifted into other places. And I think that like one, one life that really does come to mind when I think about uh, the First World War's effects here is a, is a sad story, but it's of a, of a young man, uh, of a Robert McKee, who was uh, born and his baptism was in the birth register here. Um, and he served in the First World War. He, you, you can see him uh, in the... He's got his birth and he's in the censuses and then he is off to war and then his name disappears. It's not on our pulpit here. 
um, it's, it's not registered elsewhere unless you go and check the Commonwealth Graves uh, sites. And uh, unfortunately, uh, he is buried actually just down at Dundrum. Um, he was just before Christmas in uh, 1917. He was killed in an accident um, and it was reported quite graphically in the papers. But uh, he was unfortunately shot when a gun that shouldn't have been loaded was loaded. Um, and he's just buried uh, in a spot where there's probably not many other people who were buried from the First World War. And so it was always t telling and touching to find those names and connections that are out there still that you can draw to the church. The Belfast Blitz during the Second World War is something that has been covered on previous episodes of the Historical Belfast podcast, but the Blitz directly affected St Matthew's Church. An incendiary device lodged itself in the roof of the building. It didn't detonate as intended, and the small fire was extinguished with help from the nearby Methodist Church. Again, Sam takes up the story. Well, what was a horrible time for people in Belfast, and particularly people on the Shankill with uh, the bombs that had struck uh, Percy Street and bombs that had struck further up towards Woodvale uh, Park in particular, um, was thankfully for the church, perhaps a moment of a damp squib, uh, a incendiary device crashed into the church's roof and got into the ceiling and it did begin to burn, but it only smouldered. And thankfully, just across the road, the Methodist minister could see that the, uh, there was something on fire in the church's ceiling and he managed to, to come across to try to start fighting the fire and then uh, the fire watchers saw and they, they came as well. And uh, thankfully it was put out, but uh, a fair bit of restoration work was done during that period afterwards, after the war as well. So yes, the church was struck during the war in that time and uh, it, it was... a. Uh, Thankfully, not so much damage was done to the church itself, but the, uh, the curator's house, the rector's house, uh, not far away, was uh, almost completely destroyed in the, in the same bombs, um, burnt out, and he was, uh, for some time, uh, having to collect uh, from parishioners and get assistance from the, the wider church to get himself put up and then the house rebuilt for himself. The 20s troubles from 1920 to 1922 were a particularly vicious and sectarian black mark on the history of this city. Around 500 people died in two years of violence, in which the Shankill often found itself at the epicentre. The St Matthews exhibition has unearthed a range of stories in connection with that period. The 1920s troubles was a, is a particularly, it's a growing area of study, and so it was an opportunity to look at the church and look at its connection. Um, one of the things that we took an opportunity, I took an opportunity to do in the research was to look through the preachers' books from the time and. Uh, looking through, these are just essentially just comments that are of your own work. The, the preacher would list down what he had said that day, what, where his readings were from. But sometimes there would be interesting notes. Uh, I mean, on a, on a funny note, the, this, the same uh, uh, rector enjoyed uh, always putting down observations about the snow. He would always include something about when it was snowing in Belfast. But uh, at the same time, he did note historical things that took place as well. Uh, particularly in July of uh, 1921, he notes uh, some shooting and some rioting on, on the Shankill, which is connected to a, a quite a distressing moment when uh, what had been, a, they believe, an IRA attack on, a, on Raglan Street police um, had then swelled into a mob of people and then a riot, and very quickly a riot had spread into the falls and uh, at least uh, between 11 and 16 people were killed that day. Um, as well as 70 injured and 161 homes destroyed. And it wasn't the only sort of awful story, it's just a, one element of it, but even perhaps in some ways worse for some people uh, is that in November of that year as well, um, 
some men making their way home on a having finished their day working at the shipyards packed into the tram and traveling up the way they'd reached royal avenue on the tram that was to come up the shankle when someone an unknown figure threw a bomb uh, from the street into the tram uh, people tried to jump to, to 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 shield themselves and to shield the bomb uh, but it went off it killed four instantly uh, uh, then it injured th up to 35 others uh, reports do vary and i think this, as people sort of later on were injured um, and of course, the same sort of events would take place. Whilst there was not a, the same sort of large, there was this was November of twenty one. It was the worst of the of that sort of the two year period. Um, whilst this didn't have the same sort of right that I was mentioning from July that followed it, it still was followed by reprisal murders and shootings and violence on the streets. As Sam and I are talking, hunched over an exhibition cabinet which is being populated by interesting items by the busy team around us. One item in particular catches my eye. It's a fragment of a car bomb found in church grounds following a bomb attack on the Woodvale Arms Tavern, now the Mountain View Tavern just across the road. The church, being nearby, was damaged and was forced to close for several months after. One of the exhibition items that we've got on display was uh, not the sort of thing I ever expect someone to come to me and say uh, that we've got this and we'd like to show it off. It's a uh, it's what's left of a, a Vauxhall Vogue um, badge, uh, and it's here because it was actually launched into the church after a, a bomb was detonated in June 1972 um, at the Woodville Arms Tavern just across the street. Uh, unfortunately, this bomb injured um, injured many people in, in the pub at the time, um, but I believe that no one was injured. Uh, it was killed in this uh, in this blast. Um, but this was found its way into the church and has been kept ever since. Uh, the damage done meant the church closed for nine months. It needed extensive renovations uh, to, to keep it open. Um, and uh, as the, when it reopened, the newspapers were happy to report it was uh, the church had been bombed twice and reopened twice, uh, so there was nothing to keep it down. While the Sea of the Shankle campaign experienced success in halting planned demolition, change has continued. Population has shifted dramatically since the Second World War. In the 1950s, the Greater Shankill area was home to almost 80,000 people, but now retains under 30,000. Today, St Matthew's views part of its role as a beacon of memory and peace for the Shankill and its diaspora, a site for those who left and their descendants to touch base with their roots. But I wanted to know from Sam if St Matthew's Church is as important today as it once was. Working with everyone here at the church uh, has been like such a pleasure, and I've really gained a, a strong view of, and that they, they themselves have such a strong view of their role uh, on the Shankle. Yes, it's not the same. Um, one of the things that everyone has knows about what has changed here is that uh, the population has since you know since the end of the Second World War, so many people have moved away from from the Shankle. The population has more than halved as people have been moved out to different parts of Belfast and as changes have taken place up here, whether it be the Weedavix houses of the 70s through to the like uh, BUM, the motorway that was planned to come through as well. But those things have changed, and now the church in the 21st century has begun to see itself as not just a church that's on the shankle, but a church that looks out to those who've left the shankle. Um, increasingly, they report that people come in and they're like, oh, my... My mother worshipped here, or you know, my father and, and his wife, they were married here, or, um, or my great-great-aunt, she's in the, the birth register, I saw it on Prony. 
So they now see themselves as having a role that is about the outside shankles, the diaspora, people who've left and still look back as this being part of their home and part of their story. So they really see themselves not just as a, not just as a centre of, of worship, for, but also as a, a centre of community and a centre that brings people in from not just Belfast, but much further beyond. And they've got that real strong view. That's why in doing this entire exhibition, they really wanted to focus on Shankill, the community and the church's place in it, rather than just doing 150 years of St Matthew's, the church. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Historical Belfast podcast. I encourage you to support the podcast on Patreon if you can at all. I've included a link in the episode description for that. Please continue to share the episodes on social media and with your friends. And I also hope that you like the the new music for the podcast. I think it brings a new dimension. There are a few brand new episodes in the pipeline. And so I'll be back very soon with more Belfast history for you.